Not a very Merry Christmas for the Phoenix Suns after a loss to the Golden State Warriors, 116-107. But there is a lot to pull from it. So we will go through the good, the bad, the ugly, the future, all of it coming up for you on Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a contributor at suns.com as well as Dime Magazine. Follow the show on Twitter if you don't already at Locked On PHX Suns. You can follow me on Twitter at BrendanClean14. But the best way to support the show is to do exactly what you are already doing, which is listening, which is watching, and which is subscribing. We are close to the 750 mark, which means this. We are the Valley Towel. Could be yours. Kelly Oubre coming up at 1,000 subscribers. I will randomly select somebody and send it your way. So help keep growing the show by subscribing. If you listen and you have not chipped in on the YouTube subscriber front, that would be a big help. If you are finding us on YouTube for the first time and you have not hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that, please. And we'll keep things going. A lot to get to. Trade season underway. COVID situation underway, unfortunately, in the NBA, and games like this coming fast and furious. So that's what we're hit first. And then talk a little bit about what this means for the future. Like, what did we really learn from these three games over the course of about a month between the Suns and the Warriors? And I'll touch a little bit on Crowder and Alfred Payton testing positive and entering the NBA health and safety protocol, just because that is the news of the day. But I'll save that for the end because the big the big feature here is what happened in this Suns game. 116-107, Christmas Day, 3 p.m., ABC. The spotlight was pretty large, and I think the game completely lived up to that billing, first and foremost. I mean, that has to be said. The game was great. The game was about as high-level basketball as you will see in the regular season. Clearly, both of these teams saw it as a measuring stick type of game. The Warriors had a few guys out with COVID. The Suns were, I mean, their their nine-man rotation that they used was was the nine-man rotation, and the result was, you know, a lot of cards being played, a lot of similarities from the last game, but some new wrinkles as well. So what I want to do is start, I'm going to go one side of the ball and then the other, and it just so happens that the way I see it, at least, for the most part, um, one of those was the good and one of those was the bad. So I will start with the good because that's why you're here. It's a Monday morning after a holiday weekend. Nobody wants to hear me dive into the negatives right away. So I will start with the good, which is actually on the Warriors offense side of the ball. So when the Warriors have the ball, I I think you have to start with one. Steph Curry shot poorly again, which has been a consistent thing over all three games. Now the second one I think it was on December 2nd or December 3rd, the second one in that first week where they played twice, he played a little better, but over the full course of these three games, he is far below 50%, has clearly gotten out of rhythm, and hasn't had the type of explosive scoring night we know that he's capable of. He had 33 points in this one, but it came on 27 shots, so that's where you start. I mean, the fact that whether it's Mikhail Bridges, the Suns switching ability or DeAndre Ayton's, you know, mobility and length as the big man defender in the pick and roll stuff. Curry's not able to go off the, it's not to say that in a potential seven game series, it would never happen, 
but it's three games now where he has not really been able to have the type of mega performance that you tend to expect from him. He was a plus 24, so his value is still pretty obvious, but that's the place you have to start. Here's what I will say overall, though, is the Warriors scored 116 points, but in order to do that, they needed 19 points from Otto Porter and 14 points from Gary Payton. Those guys combined to go 5 of 11 from deep. They were making off-the-bounce threes, fully sort of of out-of-rhythm threes throughout the game. So 33 points from those two guys and a 10 of 27 night from Curry. Like, I just, I think you have to feel pretty good about what the offense, what the, what the Suns defense was able to do to the Golden State offense. Now, I will say that's the, that's on, that's the good side of the ball. All things considered, you had a couple of things in this game that were also fairly fluky. I mentioned Otto Porter and Gary Payton, Draymond Green, made a couple threes in this one. Kevon Looney, who tends to not play a whole ton of minutes, 28 in this one, and had six offensive rebounds. Now, I don't think that's something you would expect to replicate very often, but it also goes to DeAndre Ayton, who I will discuss a little bit more later on. So, the Suns can keep the Golden State offense in check. It might feel like That is the scarier side of the ball because Curry gets so much attention and rightly so. He is likely to be in the running for another MVP this year. He is a game-changing historical player. But the reality is the Warriors are much, much better on defense than they are on offense. Um, I mentioned going into this game, previewing it on my Friday show last week, that they are revolutionizing defense, and we saw it a little bit in this game. I'll get to that part in a second, but... The offense is human, and the Suns made it look human. Now, I will also point out a few things that were not great. So, early in the game, the way that the the Warriors were able to get into rhythm on offense was by cutting. So, Gary Payton, um, I want to say Otto Porter, potentially. Jonathan Kaminga had a couple nice ones, if I'm remembering right. They were able to uh, basically make up for the fact that Curry was not shooting all that well by getting those cuts and by getting offensive rebounds, getting easy shots, basically, when the Suns were not giving up a ton of those. Now, late, of course, it was Otto Porter making jumper after jumper. I believe he made four jumpers in the last seven or so minutes of the game. That's not going to happen very often, but it did in this one, and it was the difference. So I think the cutting can be cleaned up. I think the offensive rebounding can be cleaned up. Uh, I think the other the other thing that I think would would scare me a little bit is we saw what happens when Jay Crowder and Cameron Johnson end up on Steph. So the Suns being able to switch is a really strong part of their team and obviously something you... Don't imagine them really going away from because they have so many like-sized players. They have versatile defensive players who can, uh, you know, stay in front of a guy like Steph Curry or stay in the post against a Draymond Green, and, and that's that's what makes them great. But Johnson and Crowder consistently did lose Curry, so I think that's something we could see the Warriors exploit again. I also think we don't necessarily 
see them toying with DeAndre Ayton a ton, but he is, Ayton continues to be, in my opinion, a little bit stymied and confused by the fact that, uh, of sort of how to operate with Looney because the Warriors will basically either include Looney in a pick and roll or a screen off the ball, or they'll just have him stand out, you know, maybe 18 feet and, and back whether he actually is a threat to shoot from there or not, and they just dare you to not guard him. It's something similar to what they've always done with Draymond Green, which is, yeah, he may not be a shooter, but if he gets the ball and goes into a dribble handoff or a pick and roll with one of their shooters, then you're screwed anyway because you're not out there to defend that action. So they move the ball and move players so effectively that you have to stay attached to everybody, even if they aren't a floor spacer. And so Aiton seems to struggle with that. So those are some of the things I think that the Warriors would continue to attack in the game in March when they play next, which is a long way away, or of course in a playoff series that's starting to feel pretty inevitable. But honestly, offensively, I think the the Warriors didn't really play all that well. I mean, they had only um, they had 21 points off turnovers, which is which is pretty great, but only 46 points in the paint. Their offensive rating was 127, which is obviously pretty good. They shot pretty well from three. They, they got to the free throw line a decent amount, but I don't feel like I saw anything offensively from the Warriors, especially if they can continue to have Curry, you know, not be his usual supernova self. That would really terrify me if I'm the Suns. That said, the more pressing and concerning portion of the game, in my opinion, came on offense when the Suns had the ball. So a few things to break down there including, as I said, DeAndre Ayton. Before we get there, Truebill is really saving, I don't want to say saving your life, but saving you time and money for the most part and saving our collective sanity one subscription cancellation at a time. We know that businesses love to have free trials renew without your consent and Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for the ones that you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. Because companies love to make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill has flipped that on its head and tried to make it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in just one tap. In addition, your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel those subscriptions, as well as keep an eye on all of your subscriptions to help you figure out which ones you might want to get rid of. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands per year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. So we saw the Suns score just 45 points in the second half. And while Monty Williams wanted to talk a lot about um, energy and hustle, and I think that affects every aspect of the game. It has tentacles on every single portion and moment. If you're not playing as hard as the other team, it's just going to be hard to win. And so I totally hear Monty there, but I couldn't help from come, I couldn't help but come away from this game feeling a little bit worried about the Suns offense in a very familiar type of way. And here's what I mean. We saw Chris Paul Get to the basket a couple of times, get to the free throw line, whether with clever tricks in the bonus or genuine foul drawing. Um, so he got there, he, he made a couple of shots in clutch time, he got 
Jay Crowder an open three toward the end of the game to cut the lead to one right before Otto Porter went supernova himself like Steph Curry uh, often does. So Paul was doing that and and it was working. He only turned the ball over a couple of times. He shot 50% from the field, had 21, eight and six, just type of, of stat line you hope for in a big game. And he's a big reason why the Suns were close. On the other hand, Devin Booker was only five of 19, missed a lot of bankable shots, missed a lot of open looks, both created by himself and created um, by others off of, you know, open threes, drive and kick stuff. He, I think this was the game I would say with Booker that you saw the frustration and some of the, the crap that he would let get into his head last season and into last postseason creep up a little bit again. I, something that I felt like he had put behind him, but this type of game and how physically and chippy the Warriors can be, Draymond Green, everybody else, you saw it start to creep up a little bit, but I don't feel like Booker played a terrible game. I think he just missed some of his shots and, and you don't want that to happen, but it does happen. The bigger problem than all of that though, is that it had to fall on those two guys yet again. And it the reason I say it felt familiar is I think the picture that I just painted running through how each of those two guys performed, it feels a lot like what we were talking about with the Warriors or with the Suns and the Bucks in the in the finals where, yes, Drew Holiday was a complete pest. And yes, it was clear that Chris Paul was hurt. And yes, it felt like Devin Booker was falling into a little bit of a trap ISOing and scoring so much and and not necessarily having the ball move and, and and the other guys get involved to the extent that we are used to. It's not to say that everything was exactly the same, but I think again, the Warriors are so much better on defense than they are on offense that this was already the most problematic part of the game and the Suns did not do much to dispel that for me. And now three games in, it really starts to feel like that's a running trend. Now Booker has only played one and a half of these games, um, so it's it's hard to necessarily get a full gauge on that. But only 20 assists for the Suns tonight in that game, 13 turnovers, and you saw some of the confusion that the Warriors defense can throw at you. They were doing triangle and two, they were doing box and one, different zone concepts, different hidden concepts where. They make it look like it's man when you're running a pick and roll, but then really, you know, it is sort of a zone, a matchup zone type of thing. And it's hard to even keep track of what they're doing possession to possession. And that's because of the communication and the IQ of their players. It's because of the length and athleticism and versatility that they all have. And the Suns did look downright confused by it at times. Cameron Payne, I think most notably, probably you would have to say five turnovers for him, a couple of bad shots that he took. And, you know, a couple of moments where DeAndre Ayton, um, I think you could say, wasn't able to get involved because of some of that, because the Suns want to push and they don't always have a place to. And Ayton is going to benefit from ball movement and gravity of others and all of that switches. And the Warriors just are so good and smart about not getting into bad situations that that wasn't able to be a consistent weapon for the Suns and you know Bridges wasn't assertive like you might like him to be but even when he was I think there's a certain limitation to what he's able to do where Bridges uh you know he can drive 
off of a closeout, but he really has to go right. He's not going to go to the basket. He's trying to get to that mid-range. Just all of the little things are more blatant when the defense is, is at the level that the Warriors' defense is. That said, JaVale McGee was able to get in for a dunk against that zone. You saw when the Suns were able to push the tempo, they were able to really, really score. And we saw that a lot in the second quarter. They scored 35 points in that. They scored 12 points off of turnovers. So there were moments when the Suns were able to look pretty good. And their offensive rating was 117. So it's not as if this game was, you know, they couldn't put the ball in the basket. You know, they shot 48%. They got to the free throw line a little more than they usually do. So it's not to say that they were miserable on offense. It's just to say that some of the things that they usually are able to do just weren't working quite as well. But I also think that there are some things that the Suns inherently have that the Warriors give up, that that the Suns are uniquely able to punish. So I think we have to jump into the sort of summative takeaways here. We have to talk bigger picture of what we've really learned and what, what this matchup is going to look like if it does come up in the playoffs. And so um, we'll talk about Aiton a little bit more there. We'll talk about Chris Paul a lot more there. And honestly, just I think there's a conversation to be had about the margin for error here and just the relative quality of these teams. Like It, it might not be a, a, a good thing to hear, but I think Suns fans need to hear it. First, though, a quick word from Bill Bar. This holiday season, grab the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. That's Built Bar, filled with so, so much holiday goodness, rich with decadent flavor and covered in chocolate, but best of all, amazingly low in calories, sugar, net carbs, and high in protein. You get the best of both worlds with Built Bar, delicious and healthy. You can have raspberry, mint brownie, cherry, double chocolate, cookies and cream, peanut butter brownie. Those are just some of the constants, but Built Bar, the best thing, honestly, about Built Bar is they are constantly having new flavors, introducing new flavors that are most of the time better than the candy bar equivalent. I'm just going to be honest. Like they have cracked the code here with flavor and sweetness and deliciousness without making it too sugary. I don't have an answer. I don't know how they do it. All I know is they do it and uh, it's delicious. And whether that's holiday favorites, some of the stuff that they've put out since Black Friday, there's still plenty of it out there, even though Christmas is in the past, or if it's just some of the delicious new stuff that they're coming up with built balls they have these protein balls that are delicious just check it out check it out built.com promo code lock 15 to get 15% off your next order that's promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com 116-107 the Warriors now 2-1 on the season series of course Devin Booker only playing one and a half of those Clay Thompson playing zero of those games you had Andre Iguodala playing zero of those games. Andrew Wiggins was questionable and had the back spasms in the first game and did not play in this game in the health and safety protocol. No Jordan Poole. So this bizarre NBA season means that it is somewhat difficult to make any grand takeaways. But the way that I look at it, we've played 72 games of bas- minutes of basketball between these two teams Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Chris Paul have all been healthy for all of it. DeAndre Ayton has been healthy for all of it. I think those core components mean that we have some lessons to be learned. And so that's what I want to do here. I'll talk a little bit at the end about 
Jay Crowder and Alfred Payton testing positive for COVID and sort of what that might mean for the Suns. But a couple big things. So zooming out and what does this really mean for this rivalry, this matchup, this potential playoff series that we might see? First one is is something I've hinted at in both segments now, and it's time to just hit on it. DeAndre Ayton is fundamentally vital to what the Suns are going to need to do against this team in particular. Now, I think there's matchups where maybe Ayton is not as vital, and you could imagine, like, the Nuggets, right? That series last year, Ayton didn't need to do a ton on offense to put the Suns over the top. He had a lot to do containing Nikola Jokic, and he was able to focus a lot of his energy there, but he didn't need to play all that well or do that much, more importantly, on offense because the way that the Nuggets defend, Paul and Booker were able to just punish it so much. The spacing that the Suns had was just too much for the Nuggets' defense, and so Ayton didn't need to necessarily be you know, getting offensive rebounds, scoring on mismatches because the, the Nuggets don't switch, etc., etc. But that said, he is huge in this matchup, and let me tell you why. It's a lot of the exact opposites of what the Nuggets do, right? The Warriors do switch, so Aiden needs to be ready to attack those. He absolutely needs to have an impact on the boards. Seven rebounds in 31 minutes for Aiden, 10 rebounds in 28 minutes for Kevon Looney, who is only 6'9 and is a far lesser athlete than Aiden also. That cannot happen. The Warriors out-rebounded the Suns in this game overall, 42-37. to that cannot happen. The Suns need to win the rebounding battle in every single one of these games. You know, the, the Warriors, they they know how to gang rebound well enough. They have size at every position well enough to not get killed in that regard. They've been going small forever. It's not as if rebounding is going to beat them after so many years of learning how to play that way. But Aiton is so uniquely gifted at that. And I just flat out have a big problem with the way that he was competing on that end or I guess in that department on both ends, on the offensive glass and the defensive glass in this game. I would say especially on the defensive glass. Just you know moments where he is around the basket and he's just not putting a body on Looney, not finding different guys crashing the boards, not getting into position, just sort of staring at the ball, um, allowing himself to be out on the perimeter wherever he happened to be when a shot goes up rather than finding the ball and getting closer to the basket to go get those rebounds like that just cannot happen. And, you know, you couple that with, I think it's, he was good on offense. He, he had the position a lot of the time and the sun's just, you know, it didn't necessarily make sense to go to him because Looney played so many more minutes in this game and everything else. But you can imagine because the way that the Warriors have started these games, Draymond Green defending Chris Paul, that you could imagine a, a quick, eight to 10 point first quarter in a game. And he just hasn't had that. I think he might've actually in the first game, but that needs to be a consistent part of every single game. They just need to be able to go to that, make it so that the Warriors have to evolve and adjust. They can't just stay with green on Paul every single time that they play and and every single minute. So that's number one. I think that one of the other key things here zooming out is that makes it a little bit hard to judge, but also has to give you optimism if you're a Suns fan here, is Chris Paul is just straight up not playing aggressively. I mean, 
we're 30 or so 30 plus games into this season now Suns are 26 and 6 they've been elite without him doing this but he's just not uh, he's just not attacking he's not playing with that mindset and I don't think he will throughout the regular season I think you know he told us all last year this is a team this is a team I feel like this is you know the deepest group that I can remember being around and they're helping me just as much as I'm helping them. And he he said it. We, we just might not have been listening very closely. And what he did is he came out this year and he backed that up with how he's playing. So, you know, compare the guy we're seeing right now to the guy in game six of the conference finals or game four of the first round of the second round, I mean, in Denver. And it's hard to know what this group will look like in a you know do or die moment against the Warriors or anybody else in the playoffs this year with Chris Paul not just not being that player not taking 10 mid-range shots in a game which is as I was talking about previously something that the Warriors are happy to give up they are either going to switch or they are going to um, drop and help against Chris Paul most of the time and what that means is that mid-range shot's going to be there. A pull-up three is going to be there. A drive and kick is, you know, it might not have a lot of space, but it's going to be there. And so the Suns have that. They have, you know, the pick and roll. They have a couple of playmaking bigs to beat the Warriors zone stuff. They can play fast. Like, there are all of these ways that Chris Paul can punish them as the point guard and focal point of this offense that he's just not doing right now. So... I would say that the fact that the Suns have been able to be competitive, and of course the Warriors would say, well, we haven't had Clay, and we haven't, you know, and both teams have that excuse, but the reality is Chris is not going to show his cards, and he doesn't have to, and he's going to be able to reserve energy. So I'm not going to predict that that's going to be the difference maker, and, you know, now the the minute that Paul flips the on switch, he'll just, you know, be killing the Warriors, and it'll be a sweep. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to blow this out of proportion, but... It is just a fact, and it, it, it's worth mentioning. My last point here, in terms of the big picture here, is the, the margin of error for the Warriors is just bigger than it is for the Suns. And to circle all the way back to what Monty said post-game, it was just mistakes. It was just a key offensive rebound here, you know, a lot by Looney. Or a turnover by the Suns there. About two and a half minutes to go. Chris Paul has the ball. I believe the Suns are either down one or three. Either way, a possession where they could have either tied or taken the lead. And Paul drives off of a pick and roll down the right, uh, kind of along the right side of the lane toward the baseline for his jumper and just loses control of the ball. I mean, you guys all remember the play and it can't happen. I mean, it just can't happen. Whereas I would say, on the other hand, the Warriors can make mistakes and survive it. You can maybe you can say that that just means the Warriors are the better team, but I I think it when they're playing the way that they are, the two stars on that side in in gold and and, and blue, uh, you 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 could basically convince me those two guys are the best two players on the floor now. Again, some of that's because Chris Paul is not being the the most aggressive version of himself and Booker just had an off night. But on Christmas, Draymond and Steph were, were probably the two 
best, most impactful, most fearsome players on the floor. Or I, I don't mean fearsome, I mean feared. They were the team, they were the two most enforcing, menacing, you are watching out for them types of guys on the floor out in that game. And that's going to be true some nights. The Suns are better depth-wise, I would say, and, and cohesive-wise, and they probably are a little bit of a better shooting team in their supporting cast, and they probably have a higher collective IQ in their supporting cast, and they have the centers that the Warriors... Like, there are advantages, don't get me wrong, but the overall system ability and and top heaviness of the Warriors is just allows for them to be able to survive mistakes in a way that the Suns just can't. So, you know, the Warriors had turnovers of their own. They, in that second quarter, were allowing the Suns to get up and down the floor. They have a 10 of 27 game from their best player, from their MVP candidate, and it just, it, it didn't end up mattering because they have such a ridiculous defense and they have enough to get by on offense and that recipe just works so, so well. Better than the Suns does, you know, over 48 minutes, over 82 games, over a seven-game series. I just think that's the reality. And it's probably a helpful wake-up call for the Suns because there's very, very few teams where that's true. And I just think after three games, I feel like the Suns have to be pretty darn close to perfect to win. They can't have... um, Jay Crowder getting into foul trouble. They can't have Devin Booker, um, you know, making the wrong decision or falling asleep off the ball, which he did at least two times where Chris Paul is having to push him over to the area he needs to be in a rotation that, that you just can't, you can't, you can't. And the Warriors are only going to be more, have a bigger advantage come playoff time because of their experience there. And, and that's it. So those are my big takeaways after three games. Ayton's just humongously valuable. Paul is hard to measure, and the Warriors are probably in the pole position right now and have that luxury of, of being able to make some mistakes that the Suns just do not have. Lastly here, I would say the only thing that's going to matter about the COVID stuff hitting the Suns is, number one, of course, it might not be the end of something. It might not be a one-off, but more likely it is the beginning of something here with the Suns. And every team is going through it. Every state in the country is going through it. Every family, and I'm sure every one of you is dealing with this COVID thing right now. It's not as if it is unique to the Suns or Jay Crowder or Alfred Pate. However, if we assume those are the only two guys out on Monday against Memphis, um, I would think Cam Johnson will start. In place of Crowder, I would think that Jalen Smith will get minutes off of the bench. I will also note that Ish Wainwright is out for back soreness in this game, so he would be a logical guy to maybe get some run here. doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Chandler Hutchison has been called up from the G League, so maybe he gets a little bit, maybe Jalen Smith gets a little bit, and Monty goes back to a 10-man rotation. We also have to see who it is the Suns sign, because... The NBA is now mandating replacement players, so 10-day hardship exemption contracts. You have to do that. So for every player who goes out, you have to sign that replacement. So we will see who it is that the Suns get. Maybe we will already know by the time you guys are hearing this, but um, I wouldn't underestimate the chance that one of those guys makes a difference. And 
The Suns can always cut one of their two-way players and sign a potential exemption guy to a two-way contract. Of course, the Suns have their extra roster spot. We know that a trade is is likely in the cards, so maybe if those guys stick on long enough in a two-way situation or otherwise, maybe they get elevated once the trade happens and, and a roster spot maybe is clear. We'll see. I don't know, but we're seeing around the NBA, whether it's Alfonso McKinney in Chicago getting a full a full year deal out of this or some other guys just impressing around the NBA, it's not out of the realm of possibility that somebody the Suns sign makes a difference and catches on or we hear their name next summer when the Suns are, are looking to fill out their roster. Like, don't ignore the players, I guess is my point here. Uh, whether it's an old name, a new name, somebody you've never heard of, somebody you've known of all along. Uh, these guys are are here and they're legit talented. I mean, they're not just nobodies. They're a lot of players we've heard of before who are getting another shot and they had talent in the first place and they still have it. So I'm, I'm sort of interested. I, I hope that it doesn't hit this roster too badly. Again, I told you guys about the testing, this extra testing the Suns are doing, the boosting. I, they're doing everything they can. It, it remains to be seen if it'll be enough. But in the meantime, they, they still have the top part of their roster. These guys are you know, lower rotation players, luckily for the Suns, a starter and a, and a 10th man. And they can keep winning without them. But if it goes any further, we'll, we'll be in for it just like the rest of the league has been. All right, guys, that'll close us out. Happy Monday. Hopefully it's not too much of a return to reality, a slap in the face back from the holiday weekend. Hopefully you can enjoy Suns Grizzlies tonight, and I will be back recapping that game as soon as I'm home, and I'll talk to you then.